you for this time that we have, Father, and we, we pray that you you be glorified. You be glorified in this, Lord, and, and for Gary himself as he's seeking you uh, regarding these things in Ukraine. Equip them uh, completely, Father, and we do pray as this podcast goes out to many churches and many people, Lord, that you do work with it, that they be convicted regarding their own life, areas that they need to pursue you in, Lord, as as well as uh, pick up the mantle of, of prayer on behalf of of this effort, Lord. And so we just trust this time to you, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm here with Gary. He's had quite a bit of experience in Ukraine as well. God is leading him back there to begin his work, sowing the gospel. So Gary, let's just jump right into this. Begin to share how you've got to this point. I manage a small family-owned company. We manufacture topical over-the-counter medical stuff. One of those products was a wound cream that I always thought was ideal for military uses. Got a long shelf life, it's economical, doesn't require special storage, and it works really well for healing and and it's got great antiseptic properties. I tried a couple of militaries and then when war broke out in Ukraine in 2014, I thought, well, they've got a war and the country's poor, they probably don't have any money. So I decided to go there and I did that. I flew to Ukraine, I had no contacts, but I had an, I'd found an article on, when I was on my way there in the Wall Street Journal, the mayor of Kiev was inviting business people to come to Kiev to do business. And he mentioned in that article that he, he'd set up a, an office within City Hall for businesses you know, to work with. So I walked to City Hall from my hotel the morning after I got there and asked to see the mayor. Well, he wasn't in, but they did take me to that office. I met an American who worked there. I told him I wanted to make some make contact some with the military. He introduced me to a woman who was part of a volunteer effort supplying the troops in the war zone, what they call the Donbass. And I had sample products with me, and within two weeks, she put samples in the hands of military people in the Donbass. So that was the start of it. The second time I went back, I asked them about the potential of actually going into the war zone. That was in 2015. Let, let's delve into the, the history a bit, because I know I know a lot understand the current war taking place. I suspect many have no <clears throat> idea regarding the war taking place in, in 2014, 2015. Jump into that and give some insight into those dynamics. What was what was happening? How did it start? What I thought at first turned out to be different than reality. I thought it was totally aggression on Russia's part. Um, they seized Crimea in 2014, and then they basically backed the separatists into what they call oblasts or states, Donetsk and Lugansk. So that was where the fighting was going on. And I was totally convinced Putin and Russia were the bad guys. They sold toilet paper in the city of Kiev with Putin's picture on it. So that was the assessment I had. So I started with that. And the Ukrainian military was underfunded. Their weapons were outdated. Basically, it was old Soviet ordnance. They all had AK-47s. 
you know, that was their standard issue rifle. They had lots of ammunition that I would see when I was there. The tanks and military vehicles were what I thought were pretty old. But at any rate, I guess if we would talk about the starting point, it would be 2014. A man by the name of Yanukovych had been elected president of Ukraine, and he was wanting to become more aligned with the West, the U.S. and NATO. One of the things that the West required of him was that he raise energy prices to the Ukrainian people 40%. Now, it's interesting to note that we've learned since that Hunter Biden, John Kerry, and some other politicians have very close ties to Ukrainian energy companies. Yanukovych was not willing to raise those energy prices 40%, and he started to become more aligned with Russia and Vladimir Putin. The West, principally the United States, instigated what they call a, rev a color revolution. Victoria Newland from Obama's State Department was involved. John McCain was very supportive of this revolution. They were able to get Yanukovych to abdicate, basically. And after they had a, a quasi-election that elected Petro Poroshenko. And prior to Yanukovych leaving the country, there was an incident at the Maidan. And that was the center of Kiev. And a group of military snipers ended up killing about 100 or 150 of the people that were demonstrating revolting and that kind of thing. So that was kind of a focal point. But at that point, Yanukovych left, Poroshenko took over as president, and this separative movement started in the Donbass, the two uh, oblasts or states of Lugansk and Donetsk. And it was kind of a frozen conflict. When I got there, it was primarily sniper and artillery fire. But at any rate, after I had been supplying some material to them for a few months, I asked if they'd take me into the war zone, which they agreed to do. And I, I was able to get into the war zone in November of 2015. And I took, you know, wound cream that we make. I took some other topical products. They took me at that point right to the front line. That was the only time I was on the front line. But I was in the war zone multiple times after that and distributing, you know, our products and then recognizing other needs. I started, for instance, the group that took me would take me into the war zone. I bought tires for their van. They're, they were running on bald tires and I supplied other things. I, I purchased a couple of uh, thermal units so they could spot the enemy at night, uh, rifle scopes rangefinders, in addition to, you know, supplying our product. I, I took some, I didn't know how to witness these people. I felt like I'm, my attempts were really clumsy. The last trip in, I was able to take some Gideon New Testaments in Russian. I passed them out, and basically, I, I found that there were good ways to stop a conversation. They just weren't very receptive. But while I was there, there were things I noticed about the culture. Uh, the young people were paired up. They tended not to be married. But I noticed that I didn't see many children. 
And I, at first I thought, well, I'm either in Kiev, the inner city, or I'm in this war zone, you know, and perhaps it's just places where you don't see a lot of children. But I started asking them, where are your children? And I never got an answer. There was an American that had moved there in the late 80s. We were friends before he moved. He set up a grain trading company over there and, and really prospered in that environment. But I asked him that one day, and he said, well, Bill Clinton set up the child trafficking out of Ukraine. And some news sources were talking about, yes, there is child trafficking out of Ukraine. Yes, there is money laundering going on over there. And it became pretty obvious to me that our government was deeply involved in this very corrupt government in Ukraine. I was warned early on, be careful who you trust. And it, it was just, it was difficult because I didn't know who I could trust. The friends of mine that I had there who I worked with, they were military types or aligned with the military. And I got to the point where I didn't realize or I, I didn't know whether or not they were good guys or bad guys. And the last trip I made to Ukraine, I was with a couple of guys that they said they were special ops, but I don't believe they were really military. But when I met them, they were in the war zone driving around in a an old SUV with camo painting on it and carrying AK-47s, you know, masks over their face, the whole bit. They met me in Kiev on my last trip, and they took me into the war zone. We would go to a city called Bakhmut. That was the center of, allegedly, a lot of the trafficking and money laundering. And they were going to put me in an apartment where I would stay by myself, and then they would come during the day and take me out to the various locations. They told me, when you're in an apartment, you'll be safe. Don't go out and don't answer the door. <laughs> and, uh, I did anyway. I went out and walked around. And now I'm learning that Bakhmut is pretty much destroyed, and allegedly due to the fact that it was a child trafficking hub. If this is all true, and I believe it is, we're looking at some really deep, dark evil, full-blown satanic stuff. I have opinions and not a lot of knowledge. You have a lot of history in Ukraine, and God has revealed much of the culture and, and the country prior to a lot of the devastation this nation's under now. Uh, you did speak a bit on a lot of the darkness and evil that's taking place. And oftentimes when you get into these realms, it, it's hard to know exactly a lot of these things in regard or the extent of, of things that are taking place. Ukraine just even as a nation right now, is in a lot of trouble. You mentioned Bakhmut. Is, is, it's controlled by the Russians. Uh, much of the spring offensive that took place, if you even call it that in many ways, I mean, the, the spring offensive has, has absolutely failed. But furthermore, where I believe the profitableness in regards to the Lord leading you back to this country to begin to be a witness. Now, at your prior trips, you brought Bibles made the comment before about you, know, you give scripture and it can shut down a conversation. And, and in many ways, when you get into military backgrounds, it, it's a very hardened heart type men and women. But yet at the same time, as evil begins to take its toll, hearts do get softened. People do begin to seek who God is. I believe Ukraine is prime for the gospel right now because of the mass pressure they've been under the last two years, but even more the condition in, in the six to seven years prior to that with some of the things you've been sharing 
speak a bit on on these relationships you have over there and some of the things that the Lord has put on your heart. From the beginning, I just had a burden for the Ukrainian people. I love those people. I didn't know who was honest and who was not. One thing I would notice, particularly among the older people, was the lack of hope. Extremely downtrodden. You know, here we have hope because we have the gospel. Old people here have hope and joy. It was absent there. The younger people, yes, they're vibrant. And, you know, that's that goes with youth. You're aggressive and much more optimistic. But now, reportedly, they've lost a half a million fighting men. Some of the reporters, like Douglas Magruder, said that they've left their dead on the battlefield. The story I get out of the Ukrainian people is that there's 185,000 men missing. Well, I guess if you're left on the battlefield dead, that would be missing. So I communicate with several people over there. I don't ask them very pointed questions because I'm afraid that the wrong question could get somebody in trouble. And currently right now, what I'm doing is working to get some more wound product into the country. It's not easy to give things to Ukraine because if you ship it in there, no, no charge or with a charge, customs people put tax on it. And you have to pay taxes to get it released into the country many times. Are they still enforcing that? Well, I the last shipment I made didn't get taxed. And now I've got one ready to go. They want it to go to the front lines. I'm just waiting for a military address to send it to. And hopefully it'll be released. The loyalties are so divided there. And we'll see what happens. I hear reports that they have 50,000 amputations, which is horrendous. Military hospitals are overwhelmed. I've been in the main in military hospital in a city called Irpin. It's just outside of Kiev. Now, I assume that that's still an operating hospital. And the conditions were backward then. And I can't imagine what they're like now if they're overwhelmed. It's almost surreal. The first guy to take me into the war zone was a volunteer sniper. And we could get through the checkpoints because he had passcodes. He would be going on a mission. And so we would drive from Kiev to uh, Bakhmut and have to go through a number of military checkpoints. And he had passcodes. I didn't realize it initially, but they were not checking my passport. They would check the other people's passports, but not mine. And I don't know what my guides told them. The sniper guy, his name was Sergei, and had originally been Soviet military, but he would go in and apparently have a mission, somebody that he was supposed to kill. And then we would spend two, three days in Bakhmut and then come back to Kiev. He's been captured by the Russians since then, or the separatists. And I've seen videos of him in prison. And so I, I don't know what his end will be and obviously have no contact with him. And I, I've never had a military experience, so I don't have training. I have no real reference point to start with. But I think that some of these people probably were pretty effective at what they do. But a lot of the units, I, or not a lot, but some of them, discipline was pretty loose. I was at one tank battalion, and they showed me they had 24 tanks dug in with nets over them they get and they pulled one out and gave me a ride in it but uh, and i was in a position where i was supposed to look out through the gun sight well it didn't work 
that means the gun didn't work. <laughs> okay. And I realized later it was just, it was a decoy. They had 24 tanks dug into the ground. It, it wasn't secure. They had barbed wire fence around it, two barbed wires, loose, strung. And, and interestingly, the commander of that unit was a woman. And one of the enlisted men lived with her in her tent. It, just things that it doesn't seem the way to prosecute a war. Visited a sniper unit. There were several people in that. And there was one couple that cohabitated, male, female. They were snipers. It seemed like such a, a disjointed thing the more I saw of it. And it's it's a country that's just totally ripe for the gospel. I know I there are Christians there. I didn't find them. So when, when you return, is, is it your hope to get back to the front line and do, do a ministry in that setting? Or are you, are you kind of focusing in on some of the, the back detachments and hospitals? I don't think I can get to the front line. And I can't get to places where I was, I don't think. Although I would go, if I, if I could go to Bakhmut, I would. But that's under Russian control. I'm, I'm not sure that they would let me cross. And I don't speak Russian. I know a few words, but I, you know, I would obviously be a tourist or an American. So my goal is if I can send product to the front lines, I will. But I, my goal next trip is to just get to Kiev. And uh, the mission field's got to be huge there. Millions of young men have left because they don't want to get drafted into the military. You know, they've lost possibly 500,000 fighting age men. It's got to be a, a rather dire situation. Now, the U.S. has pumped a lot of money in there. And some of that, I would think, is filtered through the society. But I, I don't know what I'll find. To get there, uh, the plan is I'll fly into Warsaw, Poland, and then take the train. And the trains run, do run from Poland to Ukraine, Kiev. I'm just, you know, waiting on God's leading. Good. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be praying for these doors to open. Like we said just a little bit ago, this nation, without a doubt, is ripe for the gospel. Your business, it's neat how I see God having established relationships for you there. Pray that some of those old relationships can get reconnected, as well as that God will give clarity to uh, your next step. Did you have a date set that you'll be leaving? No, I had wanted to be there by now, but uh, it just didn't seem right. But um, we've got a shipment of stuff waiting to go, and I want to see how that filters out. If if I can get that into some of the hospitals, then I've got a, a good reason to go back. And I, there are people there that tell me they'll guide me, and they have before, so I, I think I can get around. That if, translator you worked with before? She is, one of them is still there. Um, there's two of the special ops. They're both there alive yet. And the one I communicate with more often than the other, he'll, he'll guide me. And uh, I've, I've made the trip alone across Ukraine from uh, Western Ukraine to Kiev before. Well, what, are, so, what are some ways, what are some ways people can be praying for you? Well, I need discernment and wisdom. And then connections, the right connections that, that God leads us to people I can trust and that he, 
leads me to people that are open. If I could really pray with one person over there, that would be a big win. I've witnessed to several, and, and they've not been receptive yet. I suspect my friend Sergei, who's sitting in a Russian prison, probably would be, but I can't reach him. But I believe I can locate his wife. She's still in Kiev. What's her name? Elena. Elena, okay. And I, do, I, I know she had a job. They had a teenage boy. You know, this was six, seven years ago. People are working there. I mean, Kiev is functioning fairly well, from what I can tell. And I guess, in a sense, why shouldn't it be? It's always been under a corrupt government. I, you know, I spent time in Bakhmut, and I would, I would walk around on the streets. I remember one Sunday I was there for two, three hours, just walking around and, you know, praying. And and now I find out that reportedly that there were underground tunnels and stuff where they kept trafficking victims. And I would just really like to go back. It's, I've seen aerial photos. It's, most of it is rubble. I suspect I would not have been in my safe in my safe apartment when it was being bombarded. The friends I had there are not there. And one of them, his name was Anatoly. You know, I, I communicate with him every once in a while, but I don't dare ask him. You know, I want to know, Anatoly, whose side are you on? You know, who have you been serving? I mean, he was... I love the guy, very dedicated guy. He ran a distribution center out of his apartment building. You know, he had the basement and he just rented an apartment there and it seemed extremely dedicated and unselfish. But at this point, I don't know. But the Lord does. Wisdom, discernment, safety. We will be praying on these things for you, praying as well that the Ukrainians' hearts will open to the gospel. It is a desperate time. And, and for everybody listening, when, when you hear of news out of Ukraine, pray for Gary. Pray for, for these things that he has requested. And we'll, we'll trust uh, that Jesus Christ himself will be leading you and that it will be fruitful. Appreciate what God has put on your heart and, and keep in touch with us. We'd like to get some updates and stuff as things go. I will do that. Thank you for your efforts, Travis. God bless. God bless.